The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? We do have a special introductory offer uh, for each of these newsletters separately, and you can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, here in Queens, New York. That's 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com to pick up on all three newsletters, or the best place to go to follow all that I do is jtaylormedia.com. That's jaytaylormedia.com. There you can access this radio show. It's just a a button, a nice big button in plain view. Just click on that. It will take you right to this website. It will take you to all three of of those newsletters that I just talked about. Also, you can see video interviews that I do with promising uh, gold and other resource uh, mining companies uh, that are, uh, I think, very interesting prospects, many of them. Uh, and also my frequent appearances on CNBC, Fox, and BNN, and other uh, radio programs as well, all can be gotten, uh, obtained through jtaylormedia.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for this show uh, during the first hour. Uh, those companies that make this show economically viable are Crocodile Gold, Go West Limited, Travalli Mining Corporation, Entertopia Corporation, Smash Minerals Corp., Auriga Gold Corp., Sand Gold Corp., and Palangio Explorations. Well, this week our special guest is Jim Mars. He is the author of Crossfire, and that was a book that served as the basis for Oliver Stone's film, JFK. He, Mr. Uh, Mars also wrote Rule by Secrecy, which was a, a bestseller, and The Rise of the Fourth Reich which is the book that I want to ask him, I want to focus on most when we talk to him today. 
Well, while most Americans may have thought fascism was put to rest with World War II, nothing could be further from the truth. Not only does the rise of the Fourth Reich suggest the economic fascism the model of Germany is now alive and well in the American economy, but the ideas expressed in the rise of the Fourth Reich are very much in tune with those of another guest we have had on this show in the past, namely John Luftus, who authored a recently written book titled America's Nazi Secret. Uh, Mr. Loftus also wrote the Belarus Report, which served as the work that earned uh, Mike Wallace uh, an Emmy Award uh, on 60 Minutes. Uh, It's interesting to note that many of the members of America's secret ruling class who funded Hitler during World War II, or at least uh, those same interests and families, are, according to Mars, Luftus, and others like Ed Griffin and Daniel Estlin, all of which have been on this show, uh, are are still very much in charge and behind the scenes uh, really calling the shots and are the powers behind the American um, throne, if you will. Well, whether or not you buy that, it is very difficult or would be very difficult. uh, If you understand what the definition of economic fascism is, it would be very difficult to argue that that is not being implemented in the United States today. What with large corporate interests being bailed out by the middle and middle class folks, really through higher inflation, through uh, higher taxes, etc., uh, we, the people, are being asked to bail out these wealthy corporate interests, and we saw that, of course, in spades following the Lehman Brothers' failure. So w- that's what we uh, have in America now. We have, in my view, I'm very convinced of this, a fascist economic system that ensures, defies market forces. And we're supposed to be a free market economy, but nothing could be further from the truth. Increasingly, we are moving away from a free market model towards a model in which it's uh, statist or fascist or communist or a blend of all three, basically, uh, so that competition for large corporations are eliminated, really. Uh, Not only that, but you and I are asked to, as I suggested a while ago, bail out those huge companies when they make bad decisions while they are left to to keep their profits uh, during good times, when times are moving uh, before when when the the economy seems to be moving along in a positive direction and everything is going along fine, uh, they're taking down their huge bonuses and uh, and then when things go wrong, we're asked to uh, to ante up. Well, that's uh, that's the way history has been. It wasn't what our founding fathers had envisioned at all. Uh, so we end up paying for the sins of the monsters uh, through a combination of higher taxes and inflation. What we try to do on this show is definitely what is is to try to identify what really is going on, not what the mainstream media would have you to believe is going on. Then we try to provide investment ideas that result from our understanding of what is actually happening uh, and so that we can best protect ourselves and even perhaps hopefully uh, gain some ground um, financially by recognizing what is going on. To discuss the ongoing need for our government uh, to spend more and more money I've got Jeff Dice coming on in the second half of the program, uh, probably around 4.30 today. Jeff Dice is Ron Paul's chief of staff, and Jeff has some ideas why the government doesn't really need to have to increase the debt ceiling at all. And Jeff will have us have some reasons uh, uh, for that, and we'll ask him why he says that, because certainly everything we're hearing from the mainstream media is that we must, we must change uh, our ways, we must uh, reduce our... Uh, we must increase our uh, debt ceiling or there will be a a catastrophic uh, result 
uh, economically speaking. Well, uh, okay, so what we've done, and why, one of the reasons that my newsletter uh, has performed, or the, let's say the portfolio uh, in the newsletter has performed so well over the last number of years is because we have invested in gold mining shares, but gold mining shares have not performed terribly well uh, this year uh, so far, even though the price of gold has risen uh, considerably. Uh, many people have been asking why that is the case. Why have gold shares not kept up with the gold bullion? Uh, silver shares probably have done a little better uh, until recently at least. But with respect to gold, my response is that I believe the reason gold shares have not performed as well is because the real price of gold, that is what an ounce of gold will buy uh, in terms of a basket of commodities, has not kept up, has not done as well as it had been doing. Therefore, the profit margins are not growing as they had been. In fact, they've shrunk somewhat. In August of 2008, uh, an ounce of gold would have purchased about 17% of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, which contains energy, base metals, food items, as well as cotton and wool. Uh, it also has a very small allocation to gold and silver, but the fund is heavily weighted towards energy, base metals, and food. Um, so that is a fund that Jimmy Rogers created to track the cost of staying alive. When we reach periods of credit contraction, as following the Lehman Brothers' uh, decline, we see the real price of gold rising very dramatically. So, for example, uh, whereas an ounce of gold would have purchased only 17% of the fund in August of 2008, it skyrocketed to 44% by March of 2009. So gold could buy a whole lot more oil and base metals and everything else after uh, and during and as a result of the credit collapse because people had to sell what they were able to and they ran to the tested, time-tested monetary metal, that is gold. And silver, incidentally, initially did not do nearly as well as gold. Uh, silver declined relative to gold in the immediate aftermath of the Lehman Brothers. Well, um, what I'm saying is that I think we are in a period of time now, I believe, when we are approaching another contraction, another credit contraction. We're going to have Chen Lin coming on with me in a couple of minutes, and we'll get his take on that. But I, I believe that we could very well be seeing an equity market peak here, uh, and, in, and in fact, a very devastating decline in the equity markets and the commodity markets, uh, that's going to come sooner or later. The question is whether it is sooner or later, and again, we'll see what Chen has to say about that. But uh, in looking at uh, a chart that, um, that was in Robert Prechter's last newsletter, uh, certainly a case can be made for an inability to penetrate through uh, a, a resistance trend line. And also we're seeing what uh, has been described as the jaws of death by Dr. Robert McHugh, uh, in terms of the equity market, and we're looking at a very major, uh, possibly a, a huge t rounding top, uh, a head and shoulders top for the equity markets. Uh, and so we're watching this very carefully. That being the possibility, what I've been telling my subscribers all along is to build cash and get ready to buy gold shares at bargain basement prices, because underlying this, if, we, if I'm right, and we're seeing another deflation, a credit market deflation, then the real price of gold will go up uh, in its purchasing power, gold mining uh, profits will surge, and gold mining shares should follow just as they did uh, after the Lehman Brothers collapse as well. We did see a huge rise in gold mining shares and in the profits of the major mining companies. They're still very strong, and this bodes extremely well, in my view, 
for what is coming in the near future or when, when the markets bottom out because we should see the junior mining companies, the ones that are the focus of my newsletter and many that Chen Lin follows as well, should do extremely well. Uh, and so if you have the buying power, you can go in and buy those shares at bargain basement prices. Uh, and that's what we're suggesting you do. Sell some of your gold shares, build some cash, and get ready uh, to buy at bargain basement prices. Well, we're going to go to our first commercial break. And when we come back, we are going to talk to Chen Lin to get his take on the markets and where he thinks we're heading. We'll be right back with Chen Lin. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Enertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Enertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CN. SX Exchange. Dravali Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Dravali trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me again Chen Lin. He's uh, not been on the show for a couple of weeks for whatever reasons. I don't remember why, but Chen is here now. Welcome, Chen. Thank you, Jay. Chen, uh, you heard my remarks as we finished the last segment. Uh, you know, I've had this sort of uh, continuing fear that we've got a the next shoe to drop, the next deflationary shoe, that there's so much debt it cannot be repaid. And I see huge trillions of dollars being pumped into the economy, yet the American economy is not getting better. Unemployment remains very high. And we're hearing more and more talk about now in, in Europe, the sovereign debt problems in Europe. We haven't done anything to address the debt problems in the United States. We've ignored them. The banks no longer uh, mark to market uh, their portfolios, so we don't have any idea how bad the loan portfolios are. We know the housing market is not getting any better. Uh, and I just, I just believe that the more money that's created, uh, that the greater the debt, because debt is the raw material from which money is created. And we have this exponential gro- growth in debt and uh, linear growth at best in income if it's growing at all. And I think you could make an argument that actually income isn't growing. If you use the real inflation rate, which is higher than what the government says it is, uh, and you factor that out, we might not have a real growth in the economy at all. But setting all that aside, I mean, that, I'm just preaching now my, my thesis, my view as to why I think deflation is a concern. And you know, I've been wrong about this, and you've been right, and you've been on the right side of the market. You've made a lot more, even more aggressive on the long side of the market. You've made a lot of money, uh, and I've not made as much because I've been so cautious. But uh, tell me why, uh, you know, what, what's wrong with my argument? Oh, Jay, it's nothing wrong with your argument. I think it, some is uh, socialist timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, I think, uh, I'm more, you know, um, attached to Asia. So I have, mm-hmm. uh, I see what's going on, for example, in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, the threat of inflation is real. Emerging market, the, the, the inflation is real. And, mm-hmm. you know, for China, you know, their M2 is increasing 20%. A year, past 10, 20 years. I mean, this mm-hmm. just the government is printing money, printing money, uh, day and night. Uh, so, so that, that that's the thing. I, I see it. And then right now, you know, if a lot of stuff made in China actually is more expensive in China than United States. Can you believe that? So, mm, yeah. So that, what, what, that's what I see. You know, uh, what happened with rare earths? Rare earths uh, metal price increase, some increase by 20 fold in two years. I think a lot of uh, stuff made from China. Uh, will get more expensive, more and more expensive, and no one can stop uh, stop that. So that 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 will be, so there will be a inflation pressure coming in the next decade. Mm-hmm. But Chen, uh, Chinese labor remains very inexpensive, does it not? Or is it even Chinese labor becoming more expensive relative to some other labor markets in, uh, let's say, Asia? Yeah, Chinese labor market definitely gets more expensive. <clears throat> there are twofold. One is the Chinese currency gets more expensive, mm-hmm. and secondly, is the uh, Chinese uh, uh, baby boom generation getting old. Mm-hmm. Right? right now, it's a single child boom generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. So all these, uh, their only child, they're spoiled from you know their childhood. They're not willing to work hard. They're, mm-hmm. they, they demand more, 
So I, I think you know it, it, it's it's getting hard to get uh, cheap labor in China. Very mm. hard. Wow, that's interesting. But still, a lot cheaper than American labor, I would guess. Oh yeah, yeah, still a lot cheaper. But just comparison, you know, I see you know probably in the past few years labor costs probably increased by maybe a hundred percent, maybe maybe you know something around that. Just in the past few years, think mm-hmm. about that. That that's kind of increase. So. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so we have this. Uh, you know, we've been on a bull market uh, for gold. Gold's doing really well. I know you continue to be very bullish, or maybe not, because after all, we see here that George Soros is saying that gold is in a bubble. And he's suggesting that it's uh, that uh, there's even rumors that he has sold his gold. So are you buying the CNBC propaganda, Chen? Are you selling your gold? Yeah, he sold most of his gold in his filing, uh, Q1 filing. So he sold most of, I think, 99% of his gold. I think that's very good. That's very good contrarian indicator. You know, he sold gold. That's fine, you know. And then, like, then, then people were talking all over CNBC and talking about selling gold. Let them sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to sell in May and go away. Let them sell. Mm-hmm. Look at how strong gold was yesterday. Mm-hmm. How strong when the market was tanking, worldwide was tanking. Mm-hmm. Dollar was super strong. You would think gold will be weak. No, gold was even stronger. And then today, dollar take, dollar take a breather. Gold is super strong in the jumping again. So, oh, the, the we started a rally in a lot of gold and gold mining shares. So, mm-hmm. so I feel pretty good. I mean, yeah. I think uh, you know the sell off. For summer, I was expecting, I think they already, maybe at least for gold side, you know, gold and many commodities side, they may already overdone to the downside. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, time will tell, but mm-hmm. uh, but I feel uh, pretty good about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I certainly have to respect your feelings and your ideas because you've been uh, so right over the years, no doubt about it. You've, your sense of the markets has been uncannily accurate. Uh, Chen, you know, you, um, you've really talked about uh, there's one oil stock in particular that you like a lot. Would you care to pass that on to our to our listeners? Yeah, I mentioned a couple of times in the radio show. Also, I mentioned in my uh, uh, in my newsletter. It's my largest position. That's uh, Mars Resource. It's a Canadian uh, symbol. Is MMT. MMT. What yeah. do you like about that? Uh, it's uh, it's basically it's an oil producer. Uh, it's underappreciated. Uh, there's uh, almost no big broker firm except one called Union Security. You know, small boutique firm cover it. So uh, no, nobody really cares. But the stock is trading right now about one times cash flow at the current oil price, and probably um, if they continue, they're trading another well on the same path. So it will, as we assume, success. They will be trading less than one-time cash flow. Mm-hmm. So we're, I mean, we're, money speaks. You know, they they will they will accumulate a lot, they will accumulate a lot of oil, um, lot of from oil accumulate a lot of cash. And I think they if they get a couple of quarters of uh, stable cash flow income, uh, people market will recognize. So it's one of those stocks uh, underappreciated, undervalued. And uh, you know, yeah, you, you can basically buy and with very little downside risk because they have such a strong cash flow coming. Well, Chen, where are they operating? Where are their oil fields? They're operating out of Nigeria. Okay, so I guess that probably causes some people to some trepidation. Nigeria. Right. right? I would think, yeah, but uh, but still, Nigeria has been recently has been pretty quiet, and the United States is uh, importing a lot of light sweet oil from Nigeria. Uh, after what happened to Libya, I don't think Western power will allow Nigeria have a similar situation. 
And so I think, you know, as long as uh, they don't have a civil war in Nigeria, they will keep pumping oil and uh, generating a lot of cash. So you're but, suggesting that the, um, the military-industrial complex of the United States and the Western world will have to come to the rescue to make sure that the oil flows. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, because what happened to Libya, I mean, their life suite got cut off. So what else you get life suite, right? So they don't have life suite left. Yeah. So they all, you know, sour crew. So I think Nigeria become a crucial point. Nobody, I mean, in the Western power, nobody wants to see any issue with Nigeria or your exports. So, so far they've been doing pretty well. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting perspective because later in the hour, after we talk to Jim Mars, our our main guest uh, this week, we're going to be talking to Ron Paul's chief of staff, Jeff Deist. And in talking to Jeff, I, I believe he's going to suggest that the debt ceiling that uh, we are told has to be raised. Uh, Jeff is suggesting that it doesn't have to be raised. In fact, we wouldn't have to raise it if we didn't have our military-industrial complex in 140 or 150 different countries. But then, uh, on the other hand, Chen, you know, the world is the way it is, and we tend to invest accordingly. Uh, and that, uh, I guess, the United States, if it were to pull out of a lot of different countries and, and not any longer exercise its military might to try to underpin uh, these corporate interests, then, uh, you know, I guess we would all feel some pain from that. On the other hand, the pain that we're all feeling in terms of taxes and inflation, uh, you know, it's not easily identifiable, is it? And most people are, most people are being asked to share the cost of this uh, corporate, uh, corporatism, I suppose you could call it. So there's a philosophical divide, uh, and I'm not suggesting by any means that you're one way or the other on this, Chen, but I, I hear what you're saying, and it's very interesting. I mean, the United States with its military might, and I honestly think, and maybe you could just, uh, we have about a minute left, just give your idea on the dollar, because to me, in my way of thinking, a good reason why the dollar uh, remains a, the really still the world's reserve currency is because of our military might. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's one of the reasons uh, United States has the strongest military you know, machine in the world, and nobody, you know, after what happened to the Soviet Union, nobody can rival it. I think that's part of, uh, you know, the, uh, that will keep, you know, helping the United States for the probably, you know, foreseeable future. Yeah. Uh, you know, dollar is really, I, I see a long-term fundamental dollar very weak case, a strong case. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my you, take. Okay, but in a, controlled, uh, in a controlled decline, that's certainly what they want. They don't want to see a precipitous decline in the dollar that would render it useless, I suppose. Uh, so is that what you see, a sort of a controlled, slow de- demise of the dollar relative to other currencies? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the, most, and pr- most likely, yes. Yeah. Whenever dollar rally, Bernanke will start a QE, whatever, 2.5 or 3. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a, Q, a Q26, as, uh, as Mark Faber has uh, suggested. Well, anyway, uh, I think this is really interesting stuff because we're going to be talking in just a minute to Jim Mars, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit about... Uh, the, what took place since World War II and how the United States ascended to its uh, superiority and military might during that time frame. I'm sure that's one of the topics we'll be uh, touching on with Jim Mars. Uh, thank you, Chen, very much for being uh, with us today. We'll uh, look to have you back next week, hopefully. Folks, don't go away. We're going to go to a commercial break, and then our special guest, Jim Mars, is going to be with us. Uh, Jim has really written some, some outstanding material. Uh, he's talked about the Kennedy assassination. Uh, we're going to talk to him today about the rise of the Fourth Reich 
and uh, you know how that has uh, what's happened uh, the transfer of power uh, and the growth of uh, United States supremacy militarily after World War II and are we the Fourth Reich that's something to think about as we go to break we'll be right back with Jim Mars don't go away America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000 ton per day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top 10 gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. Travali Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Travali trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and run. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Jim Mars. Uh, Jim uh, Mars is an, American, uh, is an American former newspaper journalist and New York Times best-selling author of books and articles on a wide range of alleged cover-ups and conspiracies. He earned a B.A. degree in journalism from the University of North Texas in 1966 and attended graduate school at Texas Tech in Lubbock for two years. Uh, Mr. Mars is a prominent figure in the JFK Conspiracy Press, and his book, Crossfire, was a source of Oliver Stone's film, JFK. He has written books asserting the existence of government conspiracies regarding the aliens, uh, regarding aliens, uh, 9-11, telepathy, uh, and secret societies. He was once a news reporter in the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Metro, Metroplex and has taught a class on the Kennedy assassination at the University of Texas, Arlington. Mr. Mars is a member of the Scholars for 9-11 Truth. Uh, he has won several writing and photography awards and in 1993 received the Freedom Magazine's Human Rights Leadership Award. Mr. Mars has also appeared on numerous national and regional television and radio shows. Well, before I say hello to Jim, I'd like to pass along a couple of comments made about his work in the prominent press, because if anything, I think most people think of Jim Mars as a conspiracy theorist, or in even less respectful, a theor- uh, conspiracy nut, perhaps. But listen to what some of the sort of more prominent press has had to say about him uh, concerning rule by secrecy. Uh, one of his uh, one of his great works uh, that I've also had a chance to look at in the past. The Wall Street Journal said, "Quote: Think you know what's going on? You don't. Entertaining, jaw-dropping, and that's what they said about uh, rule by secrecy." Uh, and the Dallas Observer said, "Jim Mars can't be ignored. Few in this country shout about the truth louder than he." Uh, and uh, in the Kansas City Star, Jeff Fortier wrote. The best conspiracy book I ever read, not only did I love it, I went out and bought a copy for someone else just to sp- spread the word. And then with respect to Crossfire, that's uh, the plot that killed uh, Kennedy, uh, the Washington Post book world said, a complete catalog of Kennedy conspiracies, compelling reading. The New York Times book review said, presents the case for believing that a conspiracy caused the death of John F. Kennedy. And the Cleveland Plain Dealer said, raises profound and deeply troubling questions. And uh, Kirkus Review said, uh, called the book, uh, The Crossfire, the big daddy of all conspiracy books on the JFK assassination, and one that can't be taken lightly. A sheer tour de force that may be the final word until 2039 when the government file on the case can be unlocked. So those are some of the words that the prominent press has had to say about Jim Mars. So put away the notion that this is a conspiracy kook or a conspiracy nut and listen to what Jim has to say. Welcome, Jim. I'm so happy to have you with me on this show. Howdy, Jay. It's uh, my pleasure to be with you. And 
uh, I guess conspiracy theories is better than years ago when uh, people who were looking into various conspiracies used to be called buffs. Uh, you don't really hear that much anymore, and I think that's because somebody. Uh, you may recall that, don't you, Jay? When it used yeah. to be conspiracy buffs. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and I, but you don't hear that much anymore that term buff, and I think that's because somebody checked the dictionary and found out that a buff. This goes back to the uh, uh, buff-colored orange shirts that the New York Volunteer Fire Department used to wear, mm-hmm. and so the a buff is someone who knows a little bit more about some particular mm-hmm. subject than every, anybody else. Yes. <laughs> and so that's, that's why correct. you don't hear the buff that, that, going around so much. Now it's conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah that's so, correct, Jim, and I recall that. Um, I, 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 just, I do recall the time when people were referred to as buffs and uh, conspiracy buffs or people that know more about because they've really studied it. And they're, yeah. you know, they might be looked at as somebody who's, who's really had a passion for some subject and have really dug harder than anybody else on it. So that's, that's a very that's interesting right. you uh, still note. You hear it used with, like, Civil War buffs. Yes, okay? exactly. Well, you know, I know some Civil War buffs, and yeah. they, they studied it. They've read as much of the literature as they can, and they probably yeah. know more about it than anybody else. Right, right. But they don't want that, uh, that notion. Uh, no, no, they, it, they don't want that is to think, some, oh, well, they might know what they're talking about. Right. Well, certain uh, people wouldn't, yeah. Okay, well, let's explore what some of these topics are. Um, as I said, conspiracy. Let's see what a conspiracy is. Yeah. Okay. Define it. Conspiracy comes from the Latin word conspirai, which literally means to breathe together. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, or to act in concert. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, if you and I planned a surprise birthday party, that's a conspiracy. Right. But it's not a bad conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, a conspiracy right. is simply acting together in concert for some mm-hmm. particular purpose. Mm-hmm. So, like so many other things, it's uh, whether it's good or bad depends on who's using it and for what purposes. So just because there's a conspiracy doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Mm-hmm. However, under our legal system, there's been plenty of people, in, in particular mafia chieftains, that have been imprisoned, uh, convicted of conspiracy. Mm. So conspiracies actually do happen. In fact, my uh, watchword is, if it's not an act of God, yes, accidents happen, then it's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somebody planned it that way. Whenever two or more people get together and plan something, it's um, a conspiracy. Uh, silently, uh, I guess, behind the scenes or clandestinely, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, for example, if you owned a business and I ask you, what is your business plan? And you say, well, I don't have one. Mm-hmm. Well, then <laughs> most people think you're kind of an idiot and probably won't be in business long, right? Yeah. And yet, if you have a business plan, are you going to share it with your competition? No. Mm-hmm. So that's basically a conspiracy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's not. It, that's not a bad one. So no. basically, what we're talking about when we talk about conspiracies are bad conspiracies. Now, yeah. now we get to the theorist idea, a theory. Uh, mm-hmm. A theory is, uh, you know, a supposition, a what if this, uh, okay. And it, it, what that boils down to is pretty simple. If you can prove something, it's no longer a theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, for example, in the case of the Kennedy assassination, I can prove to any reasonable person that there were steps taken at the level of the federal government to uh, fabricate evidence, destroy evidence, suppress evidence, uh, intimidate witnesses, 
these are all criminal acts, you know, that you can be imprisoned for uh, in connection with a capital crime, and murder is a capital crime. So, therefore, all of these crimes were committed uh, in the wake of the Kennedy assassination, which obviously means that there was a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Well, your book, um, Crossfire, of course, would, would go into great detail about about those items that you just, uh, those, those issues that you just raised. Right. But if uh, I know what I really want to do is talk most today about uh, the rise of the Fourth Reich, um, if we can get to that. But, sure. But, but uh, maybe you could just give our, give our, give our listeners a, an overview of what, your, uh, of what your thesis is on the Kennedy assassination and who was behind oh. it. Okay, well, let's just take it step at a time. Sure. First off, uh, either the accused assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, he either acted alone or he acted in concert with at least one other person, which makes it a conspiracy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think the preponderance of evidence will show that there was all kinds of things bubbling beneath the surface, which uh, pretty well shows he did not act alone. Uh, for one thing, the shooting that he's accused of, you know, one bullet passing through two men, uh, three shots in less than six seconds when it takes two seconds just to cock the bolt and pull the trigger of that mm-hmm. old World War II rifle he supposedly used, mm-hmm. uh, that just doesn't, doesn't hunt. So uh, obviously he didn't act alone. There was somebody else. So we got a conspiracy. Now, that, and most people agree to that, the latest polls show as high as 80, 85 percent of the U.S. public now understand that there was a conspiracy to kill Kennedy. They just don't quite understand, you know, the full details and outlines mm-hmm. of that conspiracy. So there was a conspiracy. Uh, then how come we don't know this? How come, uh, there, you know, there's been at least two federal investigations plus a federal panel that's, that was tasked to going in and look at it, uh, uh, documents from that era, and uh, we still don't have a clear idea of what this conspiracy was, although the uh, first investigation, of course, was the Warren Commission, which has been pretty well shredded by very competent uh, researchers and critics. Then we had the House Assassinations Committee, the House Committee on Assassinations, which was conducted in the late 70s, early 80s, and they concluded that there was at least one person firing from Kennedy from the grassy knoll. Mm-hmm. Therefore, there was probably a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they said, but we're out of time and money, and we don't know who that was. And he probably missed, so it's still Lee Harvey Oswald with three mm-hmm. shots. Mm-hmm. And yet we very rarely hear that over the corporate mass media, that the last official verdict of the federal government was the House Committee conclusion that there probably was a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if there was a conspiracy, and we still don't know about it, then, you know, who had the power to cover it all up? Mm-hmm. Well, then I will simply say that the guilty parties are Lyndon Baines Johnson and his next-door neighbor and old buddy, J. Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. Because these two men committed acts that uh, suppressed evidence, destroyed evidence, fabricated evidence. These are criminal acts, and under our legal system, that makes Johnson and Hoover accessories after the fact. Okay, so while I don't think it's provable that they ordered or orchestrated the assassination, it is definitely provable beyond any reasonable shadow of doubt that they took steps to hide the truth of what really happened to John F. Kennedy, and therefore there are accessories after the fact, 
and under our legal system, that makes them just as guilty as the person that pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they are guilty. Uh-huh. Interesting. Well, but one would wonder then who would cause them or what, who might be behind the scenes exactly. that would encourage them to, uh, yes. to cover it up. And, Jay, now you're getting to the crux of it, and now or actually you're moving into the rise of the Fourth Reich. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you have to look beyond the public figures and find out who is giving them their marching orders. Mm-hmm. And what you find out, if you've, and, uh, you've read Rule by Secrecy mm-hmm. and then uh, Rise of the Fourth Reich, is you will find that there is a handful of international financiers, bankers, if you will, who uh, right, after, right at the time of World War I decided that they wanted to set up a socialist system in Russia so they helped foment the Russian Revolution and certainly then captured the Russian Revolution in 1917, uh, Woodrow Wilson said that the bulk of the, of the uh, aid money that went from the United States to Russia at the time of the revolution went to the Bolsheviks, the Reds, mm-hmm. not to the Kerensky government, the White Reds. Mm-hmm. They were trying to set up a democratic republic. Mm-hmm. All right, So they created communism in Russia. Mm-hmm. And I personally think the idea was is that as early as that was, they were going to set up a socialist East versus the capitalist West and play off against each other for maximum uh, profit control mm-hmm. and arms race. Mm-hmm. And we've actually experienced that during our lifetime. It was called the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Okay, But the problem was... Uh, Lenin uh, died, Stalin, the tyrant, took over and uh, refused to create a central bank, refused to give these banking elites free hand in Russia, so they turned on him, Mm -hmm. and communism became the great boogaboo of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Um, And they became quite fearful that this communism, they created the international there, there were strong communist parties in Europe, Britain, United States, and uh, so these uh, banking controllers uh, grew fearful. And they said, we've got to do something to put a stop to the spread of communism. So they bankrolled an army intelligence agent in Germany and helped him build up his little small party, the German Workers' Party, mm-hmm. into the National Socialist German Workers' Party, mm-hmm. the acronym of which was Nazi, mm-hmm. and that was, of course, Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. So the very same people that created communism then created National Socialism, mm-hmm. or Nazis, mm-hmm. in Germany uh, during the war. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the idea was is that they were going to create... Uh, this National Socialist government, which by the very terms of it, very definition, National Socialism, they could keep this socialism uh, confined within national boundaries. Mm-hmm. But again, we saw a situation where uh, the Nazis, and Hitler in particular, uh, just got totally out of control. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so they uh, had to turn on Hitler. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. In fact, if you go back, you'll find that in 1933, when Hitler was voted into power, and that's another thing that I think everybody needs to keep in mind, Hitler and his goons 
did not seize power. Mm-hmm. They were legally voted in by the majority of people in Germany, one of mm-hmm. the most educated and cultural peoples at that time. Mm-hmm. And this is, should be a lesson to us here in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and once Hitler took over, though, he faced a huge problem because Germany was in the depths of the Depression. This was in early 1933. Uh, we've all heard the stories of how they had to carry wheelbarrow loads of money just to buy a loaf of bread mm-hmm. because of hyperinflation, mm-hmm. and that half the country was out of work. Within two years, Hitler had turned this completely around. And by 1936, when they held the Berlin Olympics, Germany was the economic powerhouse of the world. Mm. And, uh, wow. So how did he do that? Well, uh, he did that, and this is really, really interesting, and people need to uh, to understand this, which is that Hitler turned Germany around not by borrowing money from the international bankers. Mm-hmm. He did it by printing up his own interest-free money and creating work projects like the Autobahn and Public Works, put everybody back to work, mm-hmm. drawn a paycheck, money thro- flowed through the system. They didn't owe crippling interest rates to international bankers. And uh, it, uh, it all turned around. Mm-hmm. It certainly and, did. Uh, but then that put him at loggerheads uh, with the international bankers. Because that wasn't exactly what they were after, okay? He didn't cooperate. He did uh, not cooperate with the inter- international why. bankers. Uh, right. You know, on a, it, it seems to me, uh, Jim, that what we're seeing here is sort of a replay of what happens constantly now with the United States too. When when we don't have when our when our dictators, the ones that we like so much and under and really underwrote their their power. Initially, when they when things have gone wrong for them, we've turned on them. I mean, you might consider that to be the case with Saddam Hussein, I suppose. Right. And some people we've had um, uh, James Perloff. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, an author on this on this show um, whose name escapes my memory now. The, um, the economic hitman. Uh, oh yeah. Yes. Uh, and and you know he was talking about he thinks that one of the main reasons. Um, one of the main reasons that we decided to go into Iraq was because Saddam wanted to use uh, euros for the payment of his dollar of his oil. Absolutely, uh, and that's uh, another reason that we got crossways with Iran mm-hmm. because they were threatening to uh, issue their own money. And in fact, now that we're in uh, combat and and we have a problem going with uh, um, Libya, yeah. it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gaddafi was trying to get the African nations together to uh, jointly um, issue a a coinage, uh, a coin, if you will, and uh, uh, he was going to be backed on gold by gold, mm-hmm. and so he that was going to be a threat to the uh, our Federal Reserve notes, which, uh, as far as I can see, are not backed by anything except nuclear weapons. Well, that's the nuclear weapons in the uh, United States superiority of uh, military superiority, I suppose, much right. of which I understand in uh, looking at the fourth, uh, the rise of the Fourth Reich, that no doubt a good part of our military um, 
strength and, and uh, technology grew out of that uh, World War II and the spoils of World War II. I just, I, I'd like to go there and, and ask you about that and a whole lot of other issues, but I would like to, just a thought occurred to me as you started talking about, I think you said that the Congressional uh, Committee that went to look at the Kennedy assassination ran out of money or ran out of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me is one of the most feeble-minded notions uh, and excuses for not going somewhere the Federal Reserve decided it wasn't going to report on M3 because it would cost too much money, all of a million bucks a year or whatever. And when you look yeah, at the yet, amount of... How many billions did we use trillions. to pay our money just to bail them out of their and, bad and tr- decisions? Well, yeah, trillions, actually. And so yeah. it's just a feeble excuse, and it plays well, I suppose, with people that, that think a million dollars is a lot of money, but um, unfortunately but it's, it's, it's not these days. In Washington. Um, well, so, okay, so that, that's the connection, and essentially what you're saying is that, that with the, uh, a lot of the same people, uh, perhaps. Well, that's, that's or how, Jay, that's how you control things, is by controlling the money. Sure. Let me Follow give the you money. a perfect example, okay? Uh, we were attacked uh, on September the 11th, uh, 2001. The day after Pearl Harbor, Congress convened an investigation to find out what had happened. Mm-hmm. Less than a week after the Kennedy assassination, Lyndon Johnson had appointed the Warren Commission. Two years went by after 9-11 before mm-hmm. Bush was finally pressured by families of the victims into creating some sort of investigation. And this, of course, evolved into the 9-11 Commission. Mm-hmm. He initially funded the 9-11 Commission for $3 million, <laughs> which, again, if you think a million dollars is a lot of money, and to most of us it is, but that's just pocket change. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even the 9-11 Commission couldn't tolerate that. They said, look, we can't possibly do an investigation on $3 million. So by the end of it, he had upped it another $10 million. So for $13 million, they investigated the worst terrorist attack in U.S. history and the second largest, largest loss of life uh, mm-hmm. in American history. Now, consider that in 2004, the Republican National Committee announced that counting security and everything else, they had spent $60 million on Bush's re-election festivities. (laughs) They paid $60 million in 2004 for uh, re-election parties, and they only spent $13 million to find out what happened to three thousand of our fellow citizens. Right. It's it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? It is. We just um we have about three minutes or so before we go to break. Um you have written another book that I want to get to and if we can get you back here sometime, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, How the New World Order, Man Made Diseases and Zombie Banks are destroying America. Uh, can you just talk to us a little bit before we go to the break, and then I want to get back to uh, the rise of the Fourth Reich. There's a whole lot of things I want to ask you about there, but t- tell us a little bit about the uh, the Trillion Dollar Conspiracy book. Uh, okay. I believe that you've go written back. it, and you're go going back. to have an update Nobody on that. Secrecy takes the broadest historical view and shows that there's been an effort by a clique of people throughout history to try to control the entire human race. And then this, uh, again, boiled down to the creation of communism in Russia, then uh, built up capitalism in the West, uh, leading to the Cold War. Then uh, they, communism threatened to get out of hand, so they had to create national socialism in Germany. And uh, this then precipitated World War II, 
because they could not allow any country to thrive without the bankers, okay? Mm -hmm. This is why Winston Churchill was quoted as saying, quote, you must understand that this war is not against Hitler or National Socialism, but against the strength of the German people, which must be smashed once and for all, regardless of whether it's in the hands of Hitler or a Jesuit priest. Hmm. Right? And he was talking about the economic strength, the fact that they were issuing their own money and that they were prospering without borrowing money from the international financial set. Mm -hmm. All right. So then that was World War II. They, so they never were that dissatisfied with National Socialism. They kind of like National Socialism, mm -hmm. world controllers. So we defeated the German military in World War II. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. And the German generals all signed a surrender, you know, at Reims uh, in 1945. But there was not one member of the Nazi Party there. The Nazi Party, the National Socialists, they never surrendered. They were just forced to move. And a bunch of them, as we all know, went to South America. And then some of them went to Egypt and went to other countries and fed to their bank accounts in Switzerland. But what is only now becoming known to the American public was that thousands of re unreconstructed Nazis were brought into this country, into the United States, under uh, Project Paperclip and some other programs. Uh, and rolled into our military-industrial complex. Mm -hmm. We know that we got the bulk of their rocket scientists, like Werner von Braun, who's considered the grandfather of our NASA space program. And But what a lot of people don't understand is we also got their mind control experts and their uh, psychological warfare experts and their mm -hmm. chemical and biological warfare experts and this was the beginning of what is now being called the national security state. Mm -hmm. So the problem was, Jay, that when we got their technologies, we also got their philosophies. Mm -hmm. And that's why today what you see happening in the United States today is um, basically fascism. Yeah, it, it is it, it, defined as basically the merging of state and corporate power. Mm -hmm. okay? Mussolini, who they, you know, say gave us the word fascism because it comes from his black-shirted fascistas, he himself said that that's probably not the correct term. The correct term is corporatism. Corporatism, exactly. And so well, yeah. now, what do you see in the United States today but a blending of corporate power and state power? Absolutely, the very definition Jim. definition of fascism. Absolutely, Jim. The only difference Jim. between us and Nazi Germany is that in Germany in the 30s, the state gained control over the corporations, and that was the merger of state and corporate power. In modern America, the corporations have gained control over the state. Over the states. Uh, Jim, we're going to have to take a commercial break. I want to come right back at the top of the hour with you uh, to explore the rise of the Fourth Reich uh, in more detail. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with Jim Mars. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. 
Entertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Entertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol T-O-P on the CNSX Exchange. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000-ton-per-day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. Dravali Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Dravali trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed